0: Welcome to Rich in Life, a podcast for anyone looking to be entertained while picking up a few tips on life, luxury, and resilience. And now your host, Rich Irani.
1: Hey guys, so I am downstairs in my studio. I don't know what time it is, maybe 11 o'clock at night. The kids were still up and I said, well, I didn't say my producers have been telling me that I need to record an end of year. You know, what did I learn? The highlights of my year, the lows. And I figured I have way too much to complain about that. I figured maybe I should just talk about my end of year favorite recaps. I want to recap my favorite guests and my favorite things they've said, because if I needed to talk about the year, I'm so frustrated. I mean, last year at this time, you know, things were really looking up. And now we've gone back so many steps, especially if you live in New York City or, you know, any other place where they're making you now, you know, wear masks again and all of that nonsense. I don't even want to get into it. The thing that's been keeping me going though, is a couple of television shows I've been watching. Um, The Shrink Next Door, which I found with Paul Rudd and I forgot the other actor um, from Saturday Night Live. Anyway, it's a really messed up, Uh, show, but it's really cool. It's a great show. And it's actually a true story. It actually happened. Also, Succession It's pretty good. I'm in the middle of it now. I'm binge watching that Goliath. I thought was great. And I'm not such a fan of um, Billy Bob Thornton. And of course, I don't know if you guys watch squid game. I thought that was great. The maid. Then there's a show that's not even from this year. It's years old, but I started watching it in the summertime and I went, you know, I binged to watch that as well. It's called Mr. Mercedes and you can watch it on Peacock. It's another really messed up kind of disturbing thriller about a serial killer. And so, yeah, that drinking, I've introduced gin to my repertoire of alcohol. So I'm enjoying that either as a martini or on the rocks with lime. In any case, I want to get down to the bottom of the best clips of Rich in Life for 2021. So what's interesting is that it's relevant today. Dave Rubin so eloquently told us how liberals have such a different meaning of tolerance. Listen. The the destruction of New York City is directly correlated with with the failure of liberalism. All of these good, tolerant, decent liberals who are now watching their schools be destroyed in the name of social justice, who are watching their all of their 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 synagogues and their churches be destroyed, their communities be destroyed, all in the name of tolerance, all in the name of tolerance. On top of the fact that I, it's probably just not that safe to live in New York City. Get, get no, the, so another great guest that I loved was Tanya Zuckerberg. What people don't know about that interview and that podcast is that she really shared a lot with me. She spoke to me about the woman trolling her. I won't say her name, but there was a woman trolling her trying to, you know, trying to make her life miserable, I guess. And Tanya really said that all she really wanted to do was to help people, to really help people. And she talked about At one point in the podcast, you know, because her Instagram shows what a fantastic and fabulous life she has. And she was so real to say that her life was not always like that. There was a time after she got divorced where she didn't have money and things were rough. And she really wanted to do something good and that she knows how blessed she is. So I want you to listen to how she says it.
2: I also went through some very dark periods. I did get divorced. I had no money. I was struggling to raise my children, and it was my faith in God and my belief that God loved me, and if if I kept that faith and was a good person, that He would reward me um, with more blessings. You know, it's I'm I'm so I'm I'm so grateful, and that's really how I look at it. It's I, I don't feel entitled to anything. I think with hard work and with and and a good heart, that's, that's, you know, God, God will deliver. And
1: that's beautifully put.
2: And in fact, that's why I've always felt that with F factor that my life would be blessed because the nature of the company was to help people. And anytime I would hire an employee, I would always say to them, I'm like, you will be blessed for working here because that is the ethos of F factor. That is our mission is, is to help people to live their best lives. So when you take care of the needs of others, God always takes care of your needs and It's one of the reasons I believe that God has been so good to me, but I I appreciate it all. I'm grateful for it. I'm humbled by it. And I, I recognize that, you know, everything is a gift. So the more grateful you are, the more God blesses you with
1: Okay, so now here is one of uh, my favorite ones because I still say that I'm going to do this procedure, and of course, I still haven't done it, and I probably never will. Um, Paul, Dr. Paul Jared Frank was on Rich in Life, and we discussed a lot of different, you know, ways. That you can kind of tweak your looks, try to make yourself younger, what needs downtime, what doesn't, what really works and what doesn't. But what he did say that really piqued my interest was Fraxel for around the eyes. Now, I've never heard of that. I've heard of Fraxel. I've done it once. You know, I, I told him that it felt like my face was on fire. And never went back to it. But he did say now he there's a special procedure where they do it around the eyes. I'm going to let him explain to you how he words it. And it really makes me want to do it, although I still haven't done it yet. But listen what you can do. Dr. Paul Jared Frank.
3: But we have Fraxel adorative. now. Can't we
1: say go in this sun? We have Fraxel, but the Fraxel I doesn't know, do know, anything for the wrinkles. That, yeah. So right, the, there is, there is a Fraxel that does for the wrinkles, but that's the kind where you stay
3: home for two weeks. It's oh. called the Fraxel repair. That's the big one. I do that as well. We put people to sleep for that. We usually reserve that for, you know, people over 50 or people with very severe acne scoring. But again, the first, the first cure to control.
4: Wait, I'm sorry, aging, pause.
1: I'm asking a selfish question. Does okay, it work okay. around the wrinkles around the eyes? Cause that's the only thing that drives me crazy is I feel Imagine like my that. eyes are aging. It's magic there. It's magic. Oh, yeah. It literally, it's like pulling the sheet from the corners. Oh, my God. Okay, but two weeks of downtime. Okay, this is scary. I always say I'm going to do stuff, and I never do it. I'm doing it. I'm coming to you because this sounds like something that I'd be willing to do. Because the eyes. It's one week. It's one week looking like you got socked. And it's really just like an additional second week of pinkness. Like women put on makeup. You could put cover up on. I'm not putting cover up on it. Okay. Another person who I loved in 2021, she finally diagnosed me with something. And her name was Stephanie Safarian. And she has the podcast, The Minimal Lifestyle. And we had, you know, this deep conversation about, you know, what it's like for things to keep coming into the house when you're a minimalist. And I get anxiety about it. And I still get anxiety about it. And sometimes I won't even, you know, get a bottle of water when I'm on the beach or, you know, walking on the boardwalk because I just don't want to take another piece of plastic and throw it in the garbage. So she actually diagnosed me with something and I want you to listen to it. Now. This is, this is her talking. Stephanie Safaria.
2: Being the gatekeeper is number one by far. I uh, decide if something is, worthy of entering my home. And when I make that decision, I know that when I let something in, I am then also in charge somewhere down the line of having to pass it on or get rid of it. So that's the first thing. Oh, okay. Be- go ten ahead. Ten. No. you. No, okay. Ahead. So
1: that's the first thing. Okay. Now that seems like it could be more attainable for people. The problem that I have more than anything is I have twins that are now six and a half. You have two daughters. How old are they?
2: almost seven and almost four okay so
1: same age of one of them and almost four so same thing as you i go to school to pick them up especially in kindergarten and pre-k and first grade they hand you bags now i've got two the same age so i go to one classroom they hand a bag of um, drawings of things that they made sculptures painting hand a whole bag of that and then i smile i take the bag And then I go to Gunner and I take the other bag and I look at her. I go, is there a garbage close by? I just want to take it literally from the the, the classrooms and dump it into the garbage. But I don't want to hurt my kids' feelings. And that drives me crazy. So what I do is I always tell Brad, let's leave it out for them. And then we hide it near the garbage not in the garbage. So we leave it near the garbage for a couple of days and if they don't ask where it is, it goes in the garbage. So that's kind of what I do, but it doesn't end. Stephanie, just when I think I've done it, they come home with crazy stuff. I mean, they came home with menorahs for Hanukkah. I mean, they're huge they're you know silly we have a hundred of them and brad and they would, wood but they would okay but still and brad wants to keep everything he's sentimental which we'll get to later because he's a borderline hoarder and comes from a hoarding <laughs> family so we're going to get to that after but he wants to keep stuff he's so sentimental and i tell him brad what are you going to do when they were born when they were one years old he wanted to take them to have their footprints and handprints done I, I I I told them there's no way I'm forbidding this. This is not happening. This goes against everything I believe in. I said, "What are they? What are you going to do with that? You're going to ha- you're going to send them off to college with that? They're going to carry that shit around for the rest of their life. Who the hell wants to deal with that? Listen, my mother passed away. I- okay, another one of my uh, guests that I really liked was one of my smallest and youngest guests I've ever had, and it was my son Gunner. And the reason why I liked this clip so much is because he loves his Papa so much, which is Brad, but his daddy, which is me, he likes to give me a hard time with everything. You know, when we're sitting in the car and I tell him, you know, and I'm listening to music changing the channels and he tells me stop, I I like that song. And you know, of course it's some kind of a rap song, but it's on the radio, so it doesn't have the curse words. And I get frustrated, but I say, you know what? If you're happy, I'm happy, whatever makes you happy. He waits till the song is over, and I go to change it, and then he says something very funny because I asked him, "Why do you like to give me such a hard time and this this is how he tells it to me. Here's Gunner.
5: I give you a hard time because I like to okay,
1: that's very honest, so why do you like to give me a hard time more than Papa
5: because you get grumpy, and I like to see you get grumpy. <laughs>
1: so that's what it is
5: when you get grumpy
1: so but then you complain when i get grumpy see so you do it deliberately no i try
4: to make you more grumpy
1: so why do you want to make me grumpy i thought you want me to be because
4: it's funny
1: okay and here's another one of my favorite uh (laughs) one of my favorite clips it was with um an alzheimer's specialist doctor doctor joshua Shuheim. He speaks really all around the world and he's brilliant. He's also a geriatric medicine doctor and deals mainly with memory, memory loss. So we really talk about, you know, Alzheimer's dementia and how they're different things. And then we get into the topic. You know, of course, I ask him about what he thinks of our president. Since, you know, I'm speaking to an Alzheimer's specialist who knows all about, you know, Alzheimer's dementia, the difference between them and what he thinks of the president. And this is what he has to say. What's the trigger yeah, right, to hold off so all, even, all even Alzheimer's? Even
5: Alzheimer needs a trigger. For example, head trauma. Head trauma is one of the biggest triggers for Alzheimer's disease. <laughs> the are controlling hypertension, activity. I don't understand that, but it has been proven many times in many studies that people who are active physically, they delay the onset of Alzheimer's disease. One of the treatments, uh, maybe they breathe more. Oxygen, I don't know the reason. But no doubt, activity and exercise is one of the healthiest things to prevent the disease. Controlling hypertension. What's the connection between hypertension, beta-immunia? There is a connection, there is a trigger, okay? Head trauma, it's one of the biggest triggers you have. If you remember Regan, Reagan was doing very well till he fell from the horse. The neurology examined him and said, Everything is good. He is good. No, no need to do anything. Didn't I do forgot it. about that. He it, it, didn't do even a CAT scan. He didn't do a CAT scan. But after two years, when he started to have memory problem, then he did the CAT scan and so, said, Oh, he has, he, he has dementia now. So, so, and by the way, just off record, you like politics? We're a 3 demented president in America.
1: I wanted to ask you about Joe now, Biden.
5: No, no, no. I, I'm not going to that level. Okay. I leave Joe Biden, but we have Reagan. But do
1: you think he has Alzheimer's or something? He even shuffles no, his feet.
5: I'm not going to. I'm, going to. Right. I'm not going to.
1: He reminds me of my mother, the way he fakes I'm it. Okay, okay. okay. Okay, good. I'll continue. Reagan had a future, yes.
5: what they say, Alzheimer's disease?
1: Yes. You said Wilson, after the trauma. Wilson. Yeah.
5: The first world president. Yes. He had more vascular type of dementia. Okay. And uh, uh, during Second World War, who was the president? Uh, I don't know. Who, Roosevelt, Roosevelt. Roosevelt, but, but the first one, not the that, uh, Teddy Roosevelt.
1: Teddy Roosevelt, which was
5: uh, Teddy I don't Roosevelt. know.
1: Google it, Brad. Which
4: just no, Google okay, it the now.
5: first Roosevelt. First Roosevelt, Franklin Roosevelt. Right. Franklin Roosevelt yeah. had dementia too. So those are the three presidents. Now that's not important. The important thing is if you think well, think well during those three presidents. The country was running perfect. Think about it. The economy was good. The relation with other countries was excellent.
1: With Reagan, I remember, was fantastic.
5: So why? Why? First of all, we want more demented president. We do. Okay. We, we want more demented president. We had I, one. We have, we have very good experience <laughs> from them. Okay? Now you have to, to right. ask why the country was running so well when we have a demented president. Why? Oh, the wife most probably were running the country, and that's why the and that's why the country was running very well. There was peace <laughs> everywhere, the economy was doing well. That's the bottom line. So maybe we should have more Republican in the new way. Republican demented presidents.
1: This way, their wife yes. could fix everything. Correct.
5: Okay. So, do
1: you remember before you go on? Do you? Okay, and so now one of the most, I think, intense books that I read was by Emakoli Ilabegiza. She grew up in Africa during the genocide, and she had to spend 90 days in a bathroom with It started out five other girls, but ended up with six other girls for 90 days. But here was the catch to this whole thing. She had to spend 90 days in a bathroom where people were hunting her down to kill her. They already killed her family. And she was in a bathroom, but couldn't use the bathroom. And of course, reading the book, I kept thinking, you know, and and she finally explains it in the book. I get to it. How can you be in a small bathroom with six other girls six other girls, and not be able to use the toilet, not be able to flush, not be able to take a shower. And so I didn't want to embarrass asking her that on the show. So what I actually did was read an excerpt from her book, because she explained it so beautifully in the book, I didn't want her to have to answer it in person. Here it is. How do you spend 91 days in a bathroom And how do you use the bathroom? What happens? So I just want to read a part in your book. Oddly, in the time that we were in the bathroom, I can't recall actually seeing someone else use the toilet, even though it was in the middle of our little space, nor do I recall being bothered by any odors. Our menstrual cycles came one after the other, and we perplexed. The pastor with constant requests for more toilet paper. None of us were embarrassed by the situation, though. We learned to ignore these functions and forego the luxury of privacy, especially since it all seemed rather trivial in comparison to staying alive. That's one example of how great your book is, that you really explain everything what people are thinking as they're reading the book. So. Yeah, so through the 91 days, I mean, the, the, the craziest part for me is that you knew some of the people that were out to get you. I mean, you knew these were your neighbors and people that you grew up with.
4: Yes, and it was so hard to reconcile, to think that these are my neighbors. One of the man who was outside looking for me, he said he wants me to be the 400 of the people he was killing. He have already killed 399. He's a man who went to school with me. I can easily call him a friend. We never had a problem. So it was, it was hard, but yeah, that's what it was. Okay. And the amazing...
1: Okay, and another one of my favorite interviews, I mean, the whole interview was great. If you didn't listen to it, you should. It was with an old friend of mine, Bob Harper. Not just an old friend, he's still a very good friend of mine, but he's one of my oldest friends. We've known each other for a long time, and we love recapping, I love recapping how we met how Bob and I met in New York City when he lived in LA. I lived in New York. We happened to have been out at the same place. And it was just a typical New York City night. It was a typical New York City night that I've had many times over the decades. And this happens to be just one of them. And listen to how it goes.
4: Um, I'm doing good. And uh, speaking of ageless, I mean, I feel like you look exactly the same since I met you. You're, uh, you know, I was thinking about when you and I first met. Do you remember that? Uh, what was that bar called? It XL. Was in, thank you. It was in Chelsea, it was in XL. And uh, you remember I was with Melissa Etheridge, mm-hmm. and uh, her girlfriend then became wife, then became. Amulet Michaels. <clears throat> That's her. And I remember uh, I had just gone through a breakup and I saw you and um, Brad over off to the side and we just we just became friends. Like, don't you feel
1: like we became friends like immediately? It was immediate and here I have this story. So I'm gonna let people in. I want the audience to know how we became friends and how we met. So we met at XL. It was a very swanky bar um, downtown in New York. I had walked in with Brad and Brian, his brother. Brian was in town for just a couple of days from London and he was actually leaving the next day. The minute we walked into the club before we even got settled, this perky blonde with spiky hair and a lot of makeup, gorgeous girl, walks right up to Brad and says, do you have a boyfriend? He was so confused. He pointed to me and he's like, yeah. And I I said, why? She's like, oh, I wanted to introduce him to my friend. I said, well, what about him? That's his identical twin brother. She looks up at Brian. She pulls him down because she was smaller. She messes up his hair and she drags him. Brian, how cute is he? He starts laughing, you know, being from Ohio. He goes along with it and he starts letting her push him. And we follow. We follow him right up to you guys. All we see are the two backs. She taps you on the shoulder and you turn around, sipping your drink Uh like, what's up? And that was it from there. And then a few minutes later, Melissa Etheridge turns around and says, guys, what can I get you to drink? Of course, I knew who she was. But being that most of the crowd was gay, they all knew Tammy Lynn Michaels from the television show Popular. So that oh. to me was really funny. I forgot about Do you remember how that night ended? You said you guys left and said, we're going back to the hotel. Why don't you meet us there? You were staying at the Soho Grand Hotel. And we said, yeah, sure, whatever. It was pretty much really up to Brian because we felt there was a spark. And it was whatever Brian wanted to do. So, of course, 10, 15 minutes into it, we're sipping. We're looking around. I think it was me that said, are we ready? And Brian's like, yeah, I'll go. We all got up. We drove down to the Soho Grand. And when we got upstairs, before we can hit the top step, you guys started yelling, Yay! You handed us all the drinks we had ordered. You remembered all three of our drinks and gave it to us. And it was a whirlwind of a week, Bob. We hit it off so great that even mm-hmm. when Brian went back to London the next day, and you guys liked each other, you guys had like, you know had this thing, but he that went we back did. to London. Yeah, but you still invited us every single night. I mean, we tore up the city. We went to Lotus one night. When Melissa kept inviting more and more people, Alan Cummings and all these other people, we went to the Bowery Bar, Beige Night. And then at the end of the trip, you guys invited us to come to L.A. for Melissa's 50th birthday at the Buffalo Club.
4: Wow. And and I remember that. I remember um, us all being at the Buffalo Club. I mean, that was a really fun party. And the fact that like that's what you've always been so good at, you and Bradley, like just... Being able to rally. I like people that rally and just can just go with the flow. You know, I know that like if, if it works into your schedule, whatever it's
1: going to be, you're going to say, sure, I'll go, whatever. Let's do it. And we did. And I have to say, you were the most gracious host. Okay. And then there was another guest that was um, also, well, she was very eccentric. Magdalena Kelly. Kelly. She was really... She was a hypnosis. I don't know how to describe her. You, you you really have to go back and either listen to it or just look at her snippets on Instagram. Basically, she talks about how men are the alpha men and they are supposed to be the alpha men and they just there to plant their seed. Um, I thought it was kind of funny. We did get a lot of, um, <laughs> we got a lot of responses to, to hers, but I thought that was a funny one because we actually couldn't believe what we were hearing. My producer was right next to me and we were looking at each other and I just let her talk. listen to her now.
0: It's about do you make your men feel good? so men just want to feel good with women. women need to feel secure and safe, so women look more for can I reproduce with you and will you take care of me and my offspring right And men look for are you make do you make me feel good enough and are you good enough for me to you know share my semen with you and Another big problem is that men are not wired to be with just one woman, woman. Men are meant, especially the more alpha, the more you should spread your seed. That's how it should be. If you have a good genes, you're supposed to share them with as many as you can. Women are supposed to just be with that one man, pick the right alpha, be open to him, get his child, and that's it. And that is a problem. So the evolution goes towards a way that is actually wrong. We're not wired to be that. Now, when I tell women, men are not supposed to be, let's say, monogamous. They're like, what do you mean? There are relationships, they, they go on forever. Yes, some men are fine with it. It doesn't mean you can't do it. But you truly, honestly, are not meant to be with just one woman if you're a true alpha, a strong alpha male. Okay, so, the, so,
1: as, so- as a life coach, I'm sorry. Another one of my favorite moments was when I was talking to one of the biggest Stylists of his time, Terence McFarland, who was living in New York City, he gives the story how he was literally at the top of his game, working for the biggest magazines, running around the city, when he had an epiphany and a revelation in a taxi cab. He was basically had to get something for a celebrity, and he was in such a rush. Anyway, I'm going to let him tell it. Listen to Terrence McFarland telling you why he left the styling business at the top of his game and moved out of New York City. And I think I don't remember if I remember correctly, moved to L.A. Here he is
3: about sort of packing up and, and leaving. So yeah, so I was a fashion editor and a fashion director, and I'd, I'd worked really hard to get to that point. My first job was working in display at Polo Ralph Lauren in the mansion um, back in 1987. And so I was a freelance, you know, display artist and stylist and and all of that. So I had, you know, uh, uh, let's call it a workaholic, ambitious uh, rise. Um, and the reason I started working at interview is I'd met all those folks when I worked at Calvin Klein in the PR department, so I had kind of this ascent where I was living the fashion dream that you know young high school Terence had had in his mind of living in the big city and and working for magazines or working for designers. Um, And then after details and I was doing some freelance styling, I was doing a lot of red carpet dressing kind of was, it was that moment where red carpet dressing became a thing and publicists and uh, actresses realized that those appearances could be press opportunities. And I was working for one client and it was the end of the retail working day. Uh, and I remember being in the taxi cab with the trunk filled with uh, garment bags and the cab slammed, slammed on the brakes. And I had been in this like frantic mood and I'm a, I'm a pretty calm guy. I don't typically get worked up. And I was like in a, in a state and the, the uh, cab slammed on the brakes and I sort of jolted back and I was like, wait what am I freaked out about? What is this moment? And I was trying to get uptown because Barney's didn't have the right song, but I figured (laughs) Bloomingdale's might. And I realized that my whole world revolved around getting the right undergarment for an actress to wear at a red carpet appearance that night. And I sort of leaned back and I went, I'm done
1: come like, on that I'd was like, the pivotal point that was the, the moment event. i
3: mean i mean there was no it took i
1: know it took. Uh, you know a while after that and i'm sure there were a few yeah. things leading up to it but that was the decision that in was the the taxi. M-
3: in the taxi i was like what is what is my life my life is about getting the right undergarment for this actress to wear under do you remember the actress tonight. i do who was it marissa tomei
1: oh wow i love and marissa.
3: she w- I I adore Marissa. She was a joy of a client. Uh, And I've seen her a couple of times in L.A. since. Um, And it it had nothing to do with her. It just had to do with, oh, I'm ready for the next challenge in my life. Of course. I had applied to CalArts, um, I used to do, before Calvin Klein, I was at Jeffrey Bean doing PR and creative services there. And I'd applied to CalArts at the time and gotten accepted. Um, and I turned it down because of the opportunities the fashion business was offering me. And so kind of embedded or the subtext of that, that decision in the cab was, I'm gonna go back to school. I wanna get my master's degree. I wanna be a, you know, a different kind of creator. And I went back and got my master's in, in film and theater.
1: And it's so impressive. And I think, and last but not least, another one of my favorite, favorite people, this is really one of my favorite people. It was me. It was my summer, revela- my summer revelations of 2021. And what I did realize, and I talked about it on that show, was I never understand how kids don't like camp. And the anxiety starts before camp starts and then they come home for the first day and the second day and they don't want to go to camp. And I'm thinking, but they've just gone to school for what was whatever it is, eight months out of the year and they don't complain. And yet with camp, they complain and it's funny because when I spoke about this with a few friends of mine and family members, they said it's a known fact how kids don't like camp. So here is my response to my son when he tells me he doesn't want to go to camp. Listen. The other revelation I had was about camp. I, my kids always get on the bus. They always have gone on the bus. They've been fine getting on the bus. Throughout the summer, though, I always get these little comments, mainly from my son. I don't want to go to camp today. I'm not in the mood. This summer, he told me that he doesn't want to go to camp next summer. So this is something that I learned by talking to other people, talking to friends, talking to my sisters, my nieces. Kids don't like camp. I never realized that. I remember I didn't like camp, but I found out that kids don't like camp More than they don't like school. So here was my answer to my son when he said, Before I pay, and he said this, before you pay, I'm telling you now, I'm not going to camp. So I told him, No problem. Okay. If he's telling me he doesn't want to go to camp, no problem. So you're going to go to school next summer. There is a college that teaches young kids summer school. So you're going to go to school. He said, No, I don't want to go to school. I told him, It's either camp, school, or a doctor's office. That's the only way you're not going to go to camp. You're not staying home. So it's either camp or school, or if you're sick, you're going to be in a doctor's office. So that basically put the kibosh on any idea of him thinking he's not going to camp next summer. But I I don't get it. I remember me not liking camp when I was young, but I always feel it's different. I think, I feel like everything was. Anyway. So by now I am in Miami beach I recorded this previously, and I have to tell you that it is amazing and lovely here. Uh, The anxiety subsided a little, although I'm still drinking as much as I can and trying to watch as much TV, TV as I can, but it was a great year. In spite of all of the ups and downs, I always say, put your best foot forward and things will work out. And that's what I'm trying to do. So for everybody listening out there, just try to laugh, try to find things that make you laugh. If it's not me, there's got to be something wrong with you, but fine, move on to somebody else. But definitely you got to find what makes you laugh and try to have a great year and try to look on the bright side of everything. One size does not fit all. What's good for somebody else is not good for you. Thanks for listening to Rich in Life.
0: You've been listening to Rich in Life with Rich Arani. If you liked what you've heard, click subscribe so you don't miss out on future episodes. Or visit us at richinlife.com. That's R I T C H in Life.com.